0: Wait, if you don't get any honor, it doesn't seem like you should be welcomed. It seems like you should be said, go away, we're tired of you before you even open your mouth. right? It's a little weird contradiction there. The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. Now there's actually a big clue there for what's going on. They welcomed him because... They saw what he did. They heard about it. They were at the feast, and he had done some big miracles down there and demonstrated his, his power by cleaning out the temple. So they were interested in Jesus because suddenly he was somebody who could do something good for them, and he was, had some authority and power, and they're looking to clean up their culture, and they were excited about what he could do and perhaps what he could do For them, and that the same feeling carries on, and we're going to reopen this all up. This is just by way of introduction. uh, That he he comes in to Cana, and Cana is where he did that wonderful miracle of the the very first miracle recorded, when he turned the water into wine at the wedding feast, and this uh, official comes to him whose son was ill. We don't know too much about the identity of the official, and honestly, if you read the commentaries, there's a big discussion. Uh, who is he? He works for the Roman government, and he's, he's a wealthy guy. We know that much. Whether he's Jewish or Gentile, we actually don't know for sure. So my point of view is that's not really the point of the story, okay? Um, but he's a wealthy guy. It, you can see that just the fact that he has a very, very influential job, but also in verse 51, uh, that word servants is the Greek word for slaves. He has a house of slaves. He's a typical Roman, he's probably a Roman citizen, a Roman citizen's owned folks. Now, that sounds horrendous, which in some cases it was, but by and large, in the Roman culture, these were more like employees. They were... Uh, the people who ran your house, you trusted them, they ran your finances, they took care of everything, it might have been a permanent nanny, an au pair, a babysitter, uh, as one of your slaves uh, there in your house. So he's wealthy. But it's interesting to me, isn't it, in the text, kind of flowing from the context of Jesus saying, I'm going to Galilee, I don't expect to be honored there, and then this guy coming up to him and say, saying, hey, could you please uh, heal my son? This is a tender moment. You know, my son is near death. This guy is going all out of his way. He's, he's traveled from Capernaum to, to Cana. That's something like a 25-mile trip, which in that day was considerable. They didn't have mass transit Uh, They didn't hop on the train or drive their car, more likely, was what we would think of, right? They couldn't do that. It was a long, hard journey uh, to do that. He hears about Jesus. He comes to him. And that's why verse 48 just sort of pops out at us, right? Isn't it a little weird? Here's this needy guy who's a man of influence, once again. He's a wealthy man. Um, We should honor wealthy men because they can help us sometimes, right? Uh, this feeling like, oh, yeah, you're, you're the kind of guy, you're like Nicodemus. <laughs> I want to build uh, my kingdom on people who can write big checks. Yeah. Uh, none of that goes through Jesus' mind. He, he says he actually reprimands him. He actually rebukes him. There's no question that verse 48 is a rebuke. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's kind of getting at the same thing I introduced. That is that... Jesus is, uh, I'll probably say this wrong, so just forgive me and give me grace, right? But Jesus is bugged or irritated. He's at least irritated. It bothers him that this wealthy guy kind of comes in here and he's sort of bossy. In fact, in verse 49, it's an imperative. Notice how I read it. It's, sir, come down before my child dies. It's an imperative, it's a command. Um, He's kind of bossy. He's saying, wait a minute. You're the miracle worker. I want a miracle. You do it. (laughs) You're you're supposed to do what I want you to do. You're supposed to make my life happy. That's what I want a God for. (laughs) I want God as I define him. And I want him to be actually sort of a genie In a box or in a lamp, (laughs) you stroke the genie. He comes out and says, oh, you got three wishes. (laughs) I want God to do what I want him to do. And so Jesus is not happy with people who are into the relationship with him just for what they themselves can get out of the relationship. Honestly... uh, the, the, the worship songs we sang this morning are, are so ideal for this su- subject. We come to a God who is a, a, he's the great God. You know, we, we ought to honor Him and love Him and worship Him. He's the creator God. He creates the entire universe. He's awesome in power. And then um, Clinton's prayer, using all the Hebrew names for God, He's El Shaddai. He's, I can't remember all those words he said, right? But El, El, El Olam is one of my favorites, too. The God of eternity, the everlasting God. He's the mighty God. He's the creator God. He has all power. He deserves our respect, our fear, our reverence. You don't just walk up to him and start demanding things. You don't just like him because of what you can get out of him. And that's really a lot of what's going on here in this passage. So let me uh, outline uh, a message. Uh, My title is there on the screen, Bold and Believing. First of all, bold. I'm picking it up with this idea that Jesus is bold, okay? Uh, what ha- is happening here, again, the context, you, you want to read the, the Bible as literature. Um, that's, that's literally <laughs> what we mean by literal interpretation, okay? Uh, you take it like it, it's really written to mean what it says, okay? Uh, you, don't, you don't take it like magical mystery words, You know, three words here, five words there, and then I'm going to make up whatever I want to believe. That's disrespecting the author. And in this case, that's God. Uh, Same kind of thing. I'm into this for what I can get out of it. Shake the bones. See what I get. Anyway, all that to say, look at the context. And remember the context of chapter 4. Right up at at the top, it started this whole thing. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. What's going on here is Jesus is in Judea and he's getting a really good response. His kingdom his crowd his audience is growing and so and what that is it's causing friction with the pharisees and in this is very early in his ministry jesus ministered for three years and this is within the first year probably within the six first six months or so and it's too early for open conflict with the pharisees in other words honestly on a human level He's controlling his popularity because it's not time for him to be crucified. He has a perfect time for it. And that's a whole another. To me, I just marvel at that all the time. Uh, here's the God of the universe who has all power and all capability. Uh, one of the old terms for God in the Bible is he's the Lord of hosts. H-O-S-T-S. Hosts, okay? Um, th- that means rank upon rank upon rank, file upon file, of armies. He has capabilities. He has all capabilities. So he doesn't need to manipulate the politics to control his popularity on a human level. But that's the way he's going about it. It's all about his incarnation and his submission. He's actually here working on a human level as well as a divine level all at the same time. but So he's controlling his popularity, and he's literally going to a place where he's going to be less popular. I'm going to go back to Judea because I'm too popular here. And the popularity is bringing on conflict with the Pharisees. Now, this is really cool. He does not need to be popular. Why would you go to a place that you've been saying over and over again, People don't like me there. Uh, They don't honor me there. That's where I'm going. (laughs) Sign me up. That takes a certain boldness, doesn't it? It takes a certain confidence that you have a mission, that you have a call, that you have a higher purpose. Jesus' purpose was not to be popular. He actually didn't care about that at all. He does not need to be popular. He turns the other cheek. He's the one who taught us this. It's in Matthew 5.39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Whack. And what's the normal human response to getting whacked on the cheek? Okay, I'm leaving. Once more, I'm never going to put myself in this situation again because that was really embarrassing. I'm out of here. I'm going to build walls. I'm going to separate. I'm going to stay away from you. You're the last person in the world I want to even be in the same room with again. But Jesus, having been slapped in his own region, his own hometown, goes back there. He's teaching us that. God has a call, and sometimes his call is for us to be obdurate, <laughs> to be <laughs> hard, and to be calloused, and to be willing to take the abuse where he calls us to go. There's a little bit more on that. Failure is no reason to quit. See? Hey, he could have said, Well, I've, I've been to Galilee, I, I was preaching there, it didn't work, so I quit. Well, that, that's not the nature of the Christian gospel. We don't just preach it once and then throw up our hands and say, okay, that's it, I quit. <laughs> no, failure is no reason to quit. God wants us to, and when he calls us, he wants us to stay there, he wants to speak the truth. It may not be popular, it may be against the flow, it may not bring us honor, but he's called us to speak the truth, e- because why? Because it's the truth because of the nature of what it is. He wants us to be strong. And I would like to point out a uh, couple of uh, verses on this. The commission of the prophets. Uh, Isaiah six is awesome, but I want you to turn please to Ezekiel uh, chapter two. Ezekiel chapter two. Isaiah 6 is the same kind of thing. These, the guys who wrote these huge books in the Bible, when they're commissioned, they're told that you're going to go to a place where you will not be honored, where the Word of God will not be respected, where you won't be popular. In fact, as you go, people will be rejecting you and your message, and they're rejecting me at the same time. So this is Ezekiel 2. I'm going to read a little bit here. Ezekiel two. This, you know, one reason is I love Ezekiel, and it's been a very long time since I've read from Ezekiel. So uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to read Ezekiel this morning. Uh, Ezekiel two, and he said to me, "Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you." And he spoke to him. The spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. Honestly, this is so key. The Bible presents the proper view of humanity, a proper view of, of anthropology or sociology, of psychology. What's the big problem with humanity? We're rebels. We're in rebellion against God. Every, every, every human being is in rebellion against God. We're born rebels. We're born saying, you want me to do that? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you want me to do. Though, who have rebelled against me. And in this case, he's talking about the people of Israel, which, honestly, is the Galileans, the northern tribes, probably thinking generally, but also specifically the northern tribes. These are the people who know better. They've, they've had the Word of God. It's been taught to them. It's read in their synagogues every week. They have Moses and the prophets They've heard this over and over and over again, and yet they're still rebelling. Look, it says, this is verse 3 of of Ezekiel 2, They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. There's a principle here that God calls us to be. Remember in John 4, where he says, this water that I give you will become like a spring welling up to eternal life. This is verse 14, John 4, 14. I, and I made the point that God wants every single Christian to be a water source. You're a mobile water source. Everywhere you go, you've got the water of life bubbling out of you in some way, shape, or form. And I just love the language of Jesus' promise to this water. Uh, this You know, this sinful woman who's cohabitating, who's had five husbands, who is a Samaritan who lives in Sychar. She's got everything against her. And he says, you can be saved. And you can become a source of life. I've got big plans for you. You're going to go into Sychar and you're going to speak my word. It's verse 14. The water that I will give him, and this is communing with Jesus himself. He's the water. We take him, and we take his word. He says, abide in my word. We we love him, love his word. This water that I will give him will become. I love that. It's process. You you don't get this like by coming forward and saying, okay, from from now on, I'm going to do it right. That's a good start to commit to it, but it's a long process of becoming what God has left you on the earth for. I'm preaching a whole lot of sermons here, but I'd I'd just like, let me check that box too. (laughs) You're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. And and you're not here on the earth by accident. He has purposefully decided to leave you here for another few hours, okay? Okay. And he has a purpose in that. And, and the purpose is so that you'll grow into becoming what he wants you to become. That's significance for us. That's joy. That's service. That's getting our love tanks full. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> it's exciting. It's good. Uh, I'm sorry. Verse 14. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, so there is a, an aspect to our witness, it, however it is, maybe you 're not a preacher from the pulpit, but you 're a person in a workplace, and i 'm not saying that you know, in any given cavity, you cram it full with the word of God, you become sort of you know some sidelined wacko. Um, uh, there's a time for that <laughs> right. Uh, but but he says, be, what does he say? Be as gentle as a dove and as wise as a serpent. Uh, you, you go out carefully and you look for ways to develop opportunities to speak the Word of God. But you do speak the Word of God because there's a purpose in it. He wants them to hear. He needs them to hear. And whether they hear, this is back to Ezekiel 2.5, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. See, the problem with humanity is not the lack of revelation. It's that they're resisting the revelation that they have. God hasn't hidden himself. He's revealed himself. It's abundant. And he's given us the word of God to give us specific verbal revelation. Verse 6 and you, son of man, do not be afraid of them. See, Jesus is bold. I'm going to go where people don't like me. I'm going to go where I'm going to look out on the audience and no, there's a whole lot of those people that think I'm nuts. <laughs> there's a whole lot of those people who have no respect for me. They don't honor me, right? And they don't. A whole lot. It's probably like 99%, uh, honestly, uh, tragically, his own received him not don't be afraid of them nor be afraid of their words though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions i hate scorpions i've never been bitten by a scorpion but they are scary right i've seen a couple of them that's as close as i want to get any you been stung by a scorpion you have been is it it's not nice it's not nice (laughs) <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so in other words, that's what Christian ministry is like sometimes. It's like being bit by a scorpion or stung by a scorpion. It's not nice. It's very painful. It's going to happen. It happened to Jesus. His, his heel was bruised as he crushed the head of the serpent. Do not be afraid of their words nor be dismayed at their looks For they are a rebellious house, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear. For they are a rebellious house. Uh, We got that, God. (laughs) Rebellious house, rebellious house. What do we expect? We expect people to not listen. We expect people to not care. We expect people to give up or walk away. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth. And he gave me this scroll to eat. All that to say is Ezekiel is commissioned to go to a place where the anticipation is no honor, disrespect, and rejection. And uh, finally, just a, a, I have a question mark. What, how about the appetite of God's church? We found out about the appetite of Israel. What about the appetite of God's church? Uh, Actually, a few weeks ago, I think I read this great passage, and I'd like to read it again. This is 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The the office of of pastor or uh, elder is is not like a chaplaincy. where you're, you know, basically you're being very comforting all the time. You never say anything controversial. You fit in, you blend with the decor. Uh, you're just a part of the furniture. No, you're you're there to actually say something that can be difficult. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Ah, but here's the key: with complete patience. <laughs> It'll take patience to do this. And teaching, back it up with the Word of God. This is 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're looking for teachers who suit their own passions. I don't want to go to a church that reminds me, I am a sinner and I need to repent now and always. I wanna to go to a church that, that makes me feel good about myself. And they heap to themselves those sorts of teachers. And look at verse four, this is 2 Timothy four. 4. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Jesus is bold. He's going back to Galilee in God's purpose and God's time. He knows he's called there to be God's servant. We need a robust faith in God's word. You need a robust confidence in God's word. And that's what Jesus demonstrates for us in his boldness. Now, secondly, believing. Bold and believing. Look at the second part of this story. First of all, avoid the rebuke of Jesus. Avoid the rebuke of Jesus. Verse 48, as I said already, it is a rebuke. This man comes with this real need, but he's only seeing Jesus. I will will bring you into my life when you make my life happy, when you do what I ask you to do, when I ask you to do it. And in fact, I want to be able to command you. I command you to do this. It's a lack of respect, lack of honor, lack of understanding who you're talking to. And and so Jesus rebukes him by saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Avoid the rebuke of Jesus by acknowledging, acknowledge him for who he is, not for what you want out of him. We we come humbly to God. We come humbly. On our knees to God. We worship God. We don't come because of what he can do for us. We come because of who he is in worship and honor him and acknowledge who he is. It's a kind of faith issue, okay? And there's a little bit weird way to say it, but uh, go with me here. It, it, Jesus is interested in what kind of faith you have. That's the issue here. He knows this person has a, some sort of faith, right? But he's interested in what kind of faith do you have? And here's a couple of references in John. This is the... Here, let me show you. Uh, at the very end of John, I pointed this out a, a, a while back, but it's always we could almost read this every single week. In uh, John chapter 20, he's a very good author, and he tells us exactly why he wrote the book. He puts the purpose for his book at the end of the book. This is what he says. This is John chapter 20. It's almost at the very end. There is chapter 21. He ends with this beautiful uh, chapter 21. But chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe. John writes this book so that we will believe. This is the important thing for a human being. It's the life changer that you will believe, not just believe in believing, uh, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's writing this book as a persuasion, and he wants to persuade us to the right kind of faith the right sort of faith. And here's some references on that. Look with me at 2.18, John 2.18. We already looked at this a, a little bit, this little section here. It says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? You know, they come and demand, Hey, give us a sign so that we will believe you. That's John 2.18. And then look down at verses 24 and 25, which we mentioned a couple weeks ago, and Eugene mentioned too. It's very important for the purpose of this entire book. John 2, 24. um, Verse 23. John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Yes, Sure. I'll believe in Jesus when he makes my life happy (laughs) and he does good things, when he shows up on time, when he fixes everything, when he takes this problem away, when I'm cured and healed, right? All those things that you could put on the list. When he does this sign for me, then I will believe. That's the wrong kind of faith. Honestly God's not interested in that kind of faith. He wants us to have a robust faith that believes him because of his revelation, because of his word. We believe in who he is because we're so abiding in the word that even if even if circumstances and technically speaking, even if general revelation contradicts the special revelation, I will go with the special revelation. I'm going to go with what the Bible says, even if my circumstances argue against it. Because the supreme form of revelation is what I wrote you in the book. <laughs> you know, emphasis is mine. I don't know if God would quite say it that way. But at the end of the game, it's going to, he's going to say, I wrote it in the book. It wasn't hidden. It was revealed, and you ignored it. You ignored it. See, it's so important. Uh, 223, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. You know, we, we could probably grow this church um, by you know, probably getting rid of me, might help, <laughs> and then start serving like, say, like, crimps! You know, and, and, uh, you know, what is it men don't eat? Uh, Quiche. (laughs) Crepes and quiche and maybe some uh, freedom waffles. Uh, You don't call them Belgium waffles anymore, I guess. (laughs) Belgium waffles with strawberries, you know, and we might be able to build a church that way, right? But why would people be coming to the church? Is it for the word of God proclaimed faithfully? No, it was for the crepes. <laughs> Many people believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, this is verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust, and it's the same word, believe. He didn't believe them. They believed him, but he did not believe them. That word entrust is the same exact word. He didn't, and that's what John is getting at. What kind of faith do you have? Do you, you believe him? Do you know him? Are you abiding in his word? Or are you just saying, listen, I want you to fix my problems. And if I get around to figuring out who you are, that's my business. See, that's a form of arrogance. Who are you talking to? You're talking to the guy who's holding your molecules together. <laughs> you better show some respect. You better show some respect. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He, indeed, he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. A um, couple of really other quick references here. Uh, this is important. 6.30 is the same theme. Uh, 6.30 which we'll get to later too but it says uh, so they said to him what sign do you do that we may see and believe you what work do you perform see Jesus faced this over and over again I want you to dance you know when I shoot at the ground you dance Uh, maybe that metaphor doesn't work but I I like it anyway I, (laughs) I just want you to do what I tell you to do that's what I want out of a God God as I define Him. Oh, you know, God. God forbid. You, you want a God that you defined. You. <laughs> you don't want a God that you defined. You don't want a God that I defined. You want a God who defines Himself, who is, and is not silent. He is a big God. The kind of faith matters, and. We're talking about how to avoid the rebuke of Jesus. Be persistent. The cool thing about this story is the man got rebuked, but he didn't let it put him off. He he stayed there. And and I I think his attitude was probably still not right uh, because he does use the imperative in verse 49. The official said to him, "Come, Sir, come down before my child dies. He barks an order, quite literally. He does say, sir, which, which is nice. But he's persistent. Now, if I had time, I could build a very strong point about this, but just take it for granted that this is important. (laughs) God wants us to be persistent. Stick with it. Uh, He tells a whole story about it in Luke 18. Luke 18, Luke 18, write that down in your notes. Jot that down. Persistence is rewarded. In other words, you asked him to help you. You got better for a little while, and then it got worse again, so you say, well, I, I tried that. I tried Jesus. I'll give up on that now. I'm going to try something else. Because Jesus didn't help me. helped me for a little while, but then it fell through. It didn't work out for me. Okay, That's the wrong attitude. It's a terrible, tricky thing. You're getting away from the source of all life, the source of all water. Be persistent. Hang in there. Ask again. Ask again. Persistence is rewarded. Luke 18 God, obviously, and by, by His grace, God works in spite of our shortcomings. Another way to put that is God certainly responds to imperfect faith. And the good thing about that is none of us will ever have perfect faith. <laughs> yeah. Faith is a gift, but it's still, uh, uh, still tarnished by our sinfulness on this earth. We have obtained a faith Peter says it's a gift but it's still in a sinful package it's yearning for redemption I'm yearning to get out of this package and and so God certainly responds to imperfect faith don't let this message say oh well when I get my faith perfect then I'll come to God that's not what it's saying it's this strong message of you come to God keep coming to God keep asking he will save you he will He certainly responds to imperfect faith. He works in spite of our shortcomings. Believe his word. Uh, This this guy, this official, is an example to us to believe his word. You see there in verse uh, 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him believe His Word, trust His Word uh, above all else, and it will come to pass. Again, bold and believing. We need a robust faith in God's Word. Now, closing, I want to point out that this is also in the context of these awesome Samaritans, right? The Samaritans didn't ask Jesus to help them because of signs and miracles that they saw. Uh, they simply asked him to help them for who he was. And, and they represent to us people who get it right. When they're exposed to Jesus, they don't say, could you please go away? You make me uncomfortable. They say, could you please stay with us? Can you stay here? And Jesus does, does stay with them for two days. And the, the testimony of the Samaritans is really beautiful. Oh, at the siren finish there. I'm closing with this idea. Verse 40. This is chapter 4, verse 40. Uh, Well, let's just read 39. It says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They, they wanted to dwell and remain with Jesus and remain with his word. And they believed because of his word. I love verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of The world. That's the right response. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you that Jesus was bold and he went where he was not honored and he would be rejected, even in his hometown. And he boldly proclaimed your word there. Lord, I thank you that uh, this official demonstrates faith, he's believing in what you're going to do, and you, you heard his prayer when he was persistent in it. Even when he was rebuked, he, he persisted in it, Lord. Thank you for that example. And we pray, Lord, that we will be bold and believing, and we will have a robust faith that, that stands firm because we believe your word. Teach us, we pray. Amen.